I, I want to open today's message with a, a little story uh, about a missionary couple that I met in 2001. I was living in Durango, Mexico, uh, teaching at uh, the Bible school for Marcos Witt, and the, um, the village there, the town there, is in the center of a mountain range. And in the mountains there is a, um, a people group, Native American, or well, Native Mexican, you might say, um, people group, the Tepehuanes. And um, they are to this day considered in some of the areas to be unreached. And uh, there was a family there who had come from Australia. They, they were the Fergusons. And they had spent three years um, they started out living in Durango, and they would go out to these villages. And when I s talk about the, 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 the road, it took 13 hours to get there. But as the crow flies, it was probably less than 200 miles. It would take 13 hours to drive in. They had a three-inch lift on their Ford 350, and they couldn't go over seven miles an hour because the road was that rough. And they would just creep their way up these, these roads 13 hours back to where this village was at. And they were beginning to build rapport. They would go out there and they would, would bring things for the people, for the kids. Um, they would teach. They would bring medicine. Anything they could think of to bless these people because their desire was to get permission to live in that village. And then they wanted to learn the language. They wanted to translate the Bible into that language. And their goal was to help this village. And when, when I met them, they had been working at that for three years. At first, they would drive 13 hours in their 4x4 to get out there. They would spend the day doing something, but they didn't have permission from anybody in the tribe or village to stay. And so they would have to leave. And after a couple of years, they got permission to set up a tent behind somebody's hut. And so they would go out there, and now they could stay for a little while, but they couldn't stay too long. And they were so excited about the, the progress that they were making and how, how the people were beginning to trust them. And I remember after three years of them going out there, they were so excited because they were beginning to have talks about where they could possibly build a hut of their own and move their family. And they had little kids that were, I'm trying to remember what their ages were, two years old, four years old, maybe six years old, right in that range. So their kids would, would go there and play with the village kids and were also learning the language. And, and someone in the village spread the rumor that they were doing all of this in an attempt to kidnap the kids from the village. And so they would go through these immense efforts just to be a blessing to that village. And they showed up one day thinking that maybe this was going to be the time that they would get permission to start construction on their own home and they would move their family out there. And the entire village was upset with them because they were convinced that all the good that they had done was really a nefarious plan to do them harm. And I remember just how heartbroken they were, and they continued to work at that, and 
And I believe they did eventually win back some of that trust. But it reminds me of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that says this, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The Bible says that in order to please God, we have to believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If we don't believe that God desires good for us, we block the good that he has for us. James 1, 16 through 17 says, Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, and who does not change like shifting shadows. It's interesting. How does this verse start? It says, do not be deceived. Why did Jesus say, don't be deceived? Because he knew some of us were going to be deceived. He says, don't be deceived. This is important. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Now, this part, most of us are on board with. Yeah, God has a lot of good things, and he can bring those things. But I think the biggest deception comes in this next part. Who does not change like shifting shadows? Who does not change like shifting shadows? See, there are so many people who say, oh yeah, I know God can bless me. But I'm just hoping he wants to. Because you never know. It might be that he doesn't want to bless me. It might be that, that he wants to send something undesirable into my life. Proverbs 10.22. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. This is, do we have it up there? This, this week's message, good God, bad devil. That's the title. Now, here's the thing. It sounds so simple and so basic. But if we do not trust that God is not wishy-washy, changing back and forth, blessing me this week, sending cancer next week, then we're, we're like that, that tribe where God has done so much to reach out to us. And we push him away. We keep him at a distance. We reject the blessing because we think that he's coming with something. We don't trust him. It was, I can't remember if it was before or after uh, COVID started, but it was relatively recent in the past year to year and a half. Uh, a friend of ours was um, in the hospital, and it was a friend that we made through hockey. 
so one of the families, I'd sit and talk to him as our kids were playing hockey all the time, and, and uh, he, he was involved in his church, and he liked to go to church, and he liked to ask me, you know, churchy Bible questions, and, and uh, when I heard that he was having some, I think it was heart trouble, in the hospital, I went there, and I began to talk to him, and it didn't take long before I realized that he thought that this is what God wanted to have happen to him. So we began to go through scripture. And I took him to this verse, Luke eleven fourteen. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon left the man who had been mute, and the crowd was amazed, but some of them said, it is by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others testified or tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will stand. Will, will, excuse me, will not stand, will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say to you, I say this to you because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. So here's the thing. Jesus is out there. He is healing a mute person. And, and the people look at that and say, well, maybe he's the cure because he's also the cause. Maybe, maybe he's, he's in it with Beelzebub. And he's casting out the demons that he put there. Maybe he's the cure and the cause. And Jesus clarifies with them. He says, no. No. If that was the case, if Satan was both the cause and the cure, his house would be divided against itself, it would not stand. Jesus says very, very, very clearly that he is the cure and not the cause. But a lot of people get hung up on the idea of, well, but if God knows what's going on, then didn't he cause it because he knew it was coming and it still happened? Romans 8, 28. And we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among men. All right. So we look at that and say, well, God foreknew, and then he predestined. So if, if God knew what was coming, isn't he the cause? There's a big difference between sending what's coming and knowing what's coming. Notice that it says, it doesn't say he predestined and he foreknew. It says he foreknew and then he predestined. Anybody notice the, the order there? Those he foreknew, he also 
predestined. Here's a question for you. How many of you have ever invited a, a, a bunch of people to your house for a meal? How many of you ever requested an RSVP? Répondez, s'il vous plaît. That's what it stands for, if you didn't know. French. Reply, please. You ask. Now, if, if you received, if you invited 20 people and 15 said they were coming and you prepared food for 15, here's the question. Did you prepare the right amount of food because you knew who was coming or did the right number... Did the right number of people come because you had food for them? If you knew they were coming and you prepared the food for them, you foreknew and therefore you predestined. Or you prepared the food and then the right number of people came because that's what was there. Do you see the... the, the can you follow that? This... If we grasp this, it can, it can, there are some people who are being released from confusion that they have had their whole lives. Those he foreknew, he predestined. When the first Matrix movie came out, how many of you remember that movie? It's been a long time. I loved that movie. The stuff those people made afterwards, no so much. But that movie, I thought, was so exciting. And there was a scene in that movie where there is a, a, a prophet, an oracle, they call it. And she says to the main character, she says, don't worry about it. And he says, don't worry about what? And he turns and he knocks something over and it breaks. And she says, that. And, and then she says, you know what's really going to get your goat later is, would you have knocked it over if I hadn't said anything? Like, did her knowing it was going to happen cause him to do it, is the question. If we were going to answer that, we looked at Romans 8.28. Let's read that again. It says, all things, we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to his likeness. God knew, and then he responded. He says he works for good. Doesn't mean all things are good. This is a confusion we have. We, this, is, this is where people have gotten it wrong. They've said, well, if God knows it's coming, then he's causing it. And if he's causing it, it's good. So then everything is just exactly what it should be. But that isn't what we're going to see in Scripture. We have the power to change the outcome. Even the outcomes that God himself foresaw. This is fun. You can change your future. Hezekiah changed his future. Isaiah chapter 38, verses 1 and 2. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah 
son of Amos, went to him and said, listen to this, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die and you will not recover. Anybody have that up on the fridge at their house? This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die and you will not recover. Boom. Who said that? God. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked with you, have been faithful in wholeheartedly devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And verse 4. When the Lord came, word of the Lord came to Isaiah, verse 5, go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. God foresaw something, told him, hey, this is what's coming. Then he behaved with contriteness, with sincerity, he prayed, he asked God for a miracle. And then God gave him a miracle. Was God wrong? Was, was Isaiah a false prophet? When Isaiah told him you wouldn't recover, was Isaiah a false prophet? No, he wasn't. But Hezekiah prayed, God intervened, and his future was changed. His future was changed. How many of you remember the story of Nineveh and Jonah? There's another one. God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh, tell people what's coming. Your city is going to be destroyed because of the wickedness. Jonah goes. He tells them. And remember, Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. This is, this is a really funny, I mean, not, not funny, but peculiar story when we look at what's really happening. So God loves and cares about the people in Nineveh, but sees that they're wicked. And he says their wickedness is... is will result in their destruction, go tell them that's what's going to happen. Jonah goes. And then Jonah, the Bible says, he went and found a spot up on top of the mountain and waited so he could watch as the city was destroyed. And then God has a conversation with Jonah. When, when Jonah gets grumpy, because his shade withered up. And he asks him, what are you doing up here? He says, well, I, I, I was afraid you'd forgive. Jonah didn't want God to forgive. But God came up and said, listen, they, they heard what you said. They prayed. They responded. They they asked me in faith, believing that I would come in and intervene in their circumstance, and I'm going to. Now go down and tell them that I heard their prayers. Was Jonah a false prophet? No, he wasn't. So, if God is not causing harm, 
if the Bible tells us clearly, he says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father in whom there is no shadow of turning, then where does pain come from? Where does, where does destruction come from? The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There is an enemy. Where, why is there pain and suffering at this time in the world? Remember, God created the world in a perfect state. He gave man free will because he wanted meaningful relationship. Man chose sin. Sin entered the world. God had a plan to take care of sin. He sent Jesus. That sin is gone. We get to choose forgiveness of sin. We get back in right relationship with God. And then in the end of the story, we see that, that God comes back and sets up his kingdom here. And we're living again in the paradise that earth was created to have. But we have this period in between where there's a lot going on. What happened? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 44 says, The God, with a small g, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The God of this age, with a small g. Who is that? Say it out loud. That's Satan. There is an enemy. Luke chapter 4, verse 5 through 8 says, this is talking of Jesus after he'd been baptized. God made it clear as can be who the Messiah was. He says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. If, if Satan had any doubt who Jesus was, it was cleared up. Then Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days, fasts, and Satan comes to tempt him. And this is what Satan says. The devil led him up to a high place, showed him on an, an, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor. It has been given to me. Now, we've talked about this since, since I got here back in September, we've talked a bit about a believer's authority. But at this moment, Satan says, I would give you the authority because the authority has been given to me. That verse right there is the answer to why is there pain and suffering in the world. Because the God with a small g of this world, Satan, was given authority by who? Adam. God gave the dominion and authority to Adam. Adam gave it to, to Satan. Jesus came to take it back, give it to us. And he, Jesus says... I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. Here's the question. Was Satan bluffing? 
like his big chance to tempt Jesus, and he decides to try it on a bluff? No, he meant it. Jesus, do it. Jesus answered and said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan cannot overcome your free will. God has given us free will. You have free will. Do you guys remember the story of Jesus when he, he came to the madman of the Gadarenes? Do you remember that one? There was this, for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, there, uh, Jesus comes to an area where there's a famous madman. He's, he's demon-possessed. The Bible says that he's possessed by a legion, which would be 10,000, but just demon-possessed. He has multiple demons possessing him. The Bible says that he would run around the hills and in the the cemeteries that he would cut himself, that when they would bind him with, with chains, he would supernaturally break the chains and run around. So this is, this is a man who has lost his mind to the point that he is just running around, living in caves, wearing no clothes. The demons are so powerful, they break chains through him. He hears and sees that Jesus is coming. And he marches right down in front of Jesus, gets on his knees, and says, help me. Did those demons want that? Did, did the demons that were influencing him, that were empowering him to break chains, that were, were causing him to lose his mind, to live in caves and to run around at night and, and in the... the the cemeteries and all of that, did they want him to go to Jesus? No. Who wanted to be free? The man. He exercised his will, and even the legion of demons, powerful enough to break steel chains, could not stop him from choosing to go to Christ. Our free will is incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. You can read that story in Mark 5, 1 through 13. For time's sake, I'm going to jump past. 1 Peter 5, 7 through 10 says this. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Another translation says, whom he can devour. Then verse 9 says, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. We could camp out on this verse, but it's good God, bad devil. And when we mix those up, when we confuse that, we are messing up 
The enemy is Satan. The Bible says he is, it doesn't say he goes about like a roaring lion, ripping heads off everywhere he goes. You ever notice? It says he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. There are some whom he can't devour. What does it tell us to do? Resist the devil and he will flee. But what if you think that what he's bringing came from God? Will you resist it? If you think that the devil's attack is really just God's will for your life, what's going to happen? Well, why would you resist God's will for your life? So if you don't resist, if when you resist, he will flee, what happens if you don't resist? He doesn't flee. The Bible says he was looking for someone he could devour. Verse 10, and the God of grace who called you all to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. All right, I'm going to reread this. There's a part in there I wish wasn't there. It says, and the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while. How many of you for pulling that part out? I wish it wasn't there. It's there. Will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. It is the devil who devours. We are told to resist him and he will flee. And we are told it is God who restores. It is so important that this is not simply a head thing but that we translate this into the way we live our life. When the enemy comes, when destruction is at our doorstep, when there is sickness or, or lack or, or anxiety or fear, whatever it is that the devil is bringing against us, when it comes, we need to resist the devil. Trusting in what we know about God to be true. That he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That he loves us. That every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He laid down his life for us. For our benefit. It wasn't just a ceremony. What he did had impact. Let's read. It's, it, the Bible says that he is the good shepherd. 
When you think of a good shepherd, how many of you think of Psalms 23? Let's, let's read this, but I want you to, to listen, and I will emphasize the parts that talk about God's character and his behavior towards us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His rod, what does it say? Comforts me. I almost don't want to tell this story because I don't want somehow someone to only hear this part and then remember it. But I remember hearing someone talk about shepherds. And they say, you know what a shepherd did? They wanted their, their flocks to stay close and to stay safe. So when a little lamb was born, these shepherds learned that if they broke the lamb's leg, then the lamb would need them while it was healing. And they would grow a really close bond. And then when the baby, when the little lamb's leg was better, that lamb will have learned to stay close to the shepherd. And then he saves their life because now they're not in danger of the wolf because they broke his leg when he was little. And I've heard people say that this is how God works. And when you're struggling and when bad things happen and when, when sickness comes and when people die and when this is, you know what? You don't know how or why, but God is doing this because it's better for you. That's not what the Bible says. That's not, I'm, not, I'm not just saying I disagree with you. I'm saying the Bible disagrees with you. And that's what matters. The Bible says that his rod and its staff comfort me. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. In whom, and then it makes a big deal about don't be deceived. Makes a really big deal about his consistency. Because some of us are like, oh yeah, sure, I, I believe he can do that. But you know, that's on a good day. What about the not so good day? And, and having confused the ideas of foreknowledge and predestination. Them thinking, well, if, if you prepared for 15 people to show up, you caused them to come by preparing for 15 people. No. No, you RSVP'd, you foresaw who was coming, and then you prepared for what was coming. The Bible says that God looks in Romans 8.28. He sees, and then it says he works for good. 
When God looks down and says, oh my goodness, you made some other bumbly mistakes. You've made some choices. Someone else made some choices. You know, so here's the deal. There are stuff that come into our life that don't have anything to do with our choices. Totally somebody else, something else. Sometimes it isn't someone who chose it. It's just the devil going out there seeking whom he can devour. And if we are acting like, well, gosh, I just lost my job. I guess God doesn't want me to have a job. Wonder what he's trying to teach me through this. No, if we don't understand, if we have a bad concept of what it means. The Bible says this about Jesus. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Who harassed them? Jesus saw people in their state of humanity and said, I have compassion on you because you're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion. Luke 11, 11 through 13 says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heaven, with your Father in heaven, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God says, how can, how can you believe as, as a flawed person that you have more love than God himself. Believing that God would intentionally harm. No. No, we read the verse where they accused Jesus. They said, hey, you are the cause and the cure. That's what we think's going on. That lie has been the devil has been trying to use that lie since Bible times. Because he understands if he can convince us that God is both the cause and the cure, then we won't resist. And we'll just sit back and hope. Well, hope I get lucky. But we won't resist and stand in faith. Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Luke 10, 17 through 20. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall out of like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Let's just read that again. 
I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. That's the symbol for demonic powers. And to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Man. I, I hope that I have encouraged some of you. For some of us, man, we, you, you knew this. I mean, I don't know if, how quickly they put the graphic up there. Good God, bad devil. But that's pretty easy. But do we have, we have we translated that head knowledge into a heart knowledge, into the expectation, into the indignation when we see the enemy attacking our lives? Do we just say, well, I wonder if this is what God wants? Or do we resist it? And God, what did he say? He says, after a little while, I will restore you. If we don't resist, is he going to flee? Proverbs 10, 22. Here are some verses to meditate on. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. Now, does the Bible say no trouble will ever come? No, it doesn't. We read some verses that talked about that. Trouble will come. But did God add the trouble? Is he like, well, a little by a pinch of blessing and a... And a dash of trouble. No. We have an enemy who goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. John 10.10. 10, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it in the fullest. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you have given your authority to us. Lord, I ask that you would enlarge our understanding and perspective of the authority and power you have given us. Lord, I pray that we would understand how much you love us, how consistently you work for our good. Lord, we just pray that that would be strengthened in us. We rebuke the lies and strategies of the enemy to convince people that, that the troubles and sickness, disease and issues that they have dealt with were brought to them by you, that they are your will. Lord, we know that you seek to bless us, that your desire is for relationship with us, that you see us as your children, and that as your children, you do not desire to give us pain when we ask for peace. Lord, I thank you for it. I pray your blessing on every person here. I declare victory in every home and every family that is represented here today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and you know that your sins are forgiven and you're right with God, I want to ask you just to raise your hand and smile, because that's good news. If you don't know, I mean, you probably hope, but you don't know that you're right with God, I have good news. 
The Bible tells us we should know that we have salvation. How do we know? The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. What are you saved from? You're saved from the sin that separated you from God. You see, God saw the problem that sin caused, the separation that it caused. And he sent Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the dead, to be the sacrifice for sin so that the guilt and the consequences of sin would not have to apply. But he says we do have to ask. So if that's you, if you're watching online, listening, if you're here and you want to know that you're forgiven, we're going to follow what that scripture says. So with every eye closed just for a moment, I'm going to ask if you would like to pray that prayer and know you're forgiven, please raise your hand right now and we'll pray together. If you're watching online and that's you, we're going to pray and I invite you to repeat with us. Say, Dear God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. I thank you for forgiving me, washing me white as snow. I make you the Lord of my life. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.